came across as a very stuck-up and standoffish person, and I was a little taken aback by this because I, I generally like to be friendly, and I think that is probably more a result of just my innate shyness than anything else. At least I hope so. Um, but that, when I thought of that, it, it made me think of uh, how Lee and I apparently became friends um, back in October. Um, we were having a conversation, and in the middle of the conversation, she just said, "Can we be friends?" and <laughs> I, said, I guess so, yeah. I don't see any reason why not. Um, and so that's apparently how we became friends. Are we all right? Yes. Yeah, okay, um, for those that uh, don't know, I got this job back in the summer, and Leah was actually one of the people who was on the interview committee for me getting the position. And so I guess thank you. Um, <laughs> but we're sharing the stage today as a joint effort between the staff and faculty to commission the students of Tyndale, the staff of Tyndale, and the faculty of Tyndale. There is this saying once upon a time in missions, from the west to the rest. And that uh, statement always raises my ire a little bit whenever I hear it, because it's just simply not true. The world, as we know it, no longer uh, has the majority in the west. Two-thirds of the population on this planet now reside within Africa and Asia, and so too do most of the world's Christians. And so the statement I've heard recently that I like to say is from everywhere to everywhere. And so today we are celebrating the fact that we have students going from everywhere to everywhere, from every person to every person. This is going to involve a little work on your part, and I apologize for that in advance, but I'm actually really not that sorry. I noticed once upon a time that this chapel is divided into four sections. And if you'll notice that passage that we read earlier has four distinct geographical locations in which Jesus called us to ministry. And so we have Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. And so I'm going to actually ask for a little crowd participation. And Leah and I are going to briefly outline what each of these four sections are, but then we're going to ask you to move to the appropriate section for where you will be ministering this ministry season this summer and going forward. So let me begin with Jerusalem. Those sitting in this section that choose to sit here are the ones who are staying in the home field. They're the ones who are living within their home postal code. They may be here in Toronto or wherever else they call home. They are ministering to the familiar. Not that that makes it any easier. If you're working at Starbucks, stocking shelves, serving food at Kelsey's, or working at a city camp, or just mowing grass, or perhaps even simply lounging by the pool hoping money truly does grow on trees, this is the section for you. And here we have Judea, and of course Jerusalem was part of Judea, so this includes Canada and the United States of America. Of course, two very separate countries, but we share many things. Politics, no, but things like Target more recently. So we can see different ways in which, as our neighbors to the south, we do have similarities. This also includes the stranger in your midst. So if you are working, for example, you're from Toronto and you're working at a homeless shelter or a refugee center over the summer, this includes you. So anywhere within Canada or the United States of America, but not within your own postal code, as James mentioned. Samaria, probably the most ambiguous, um, confusing section. Um, what I defined it as is the people who sit here are the ones who are working with the hated, the outcast, the dirty. Jews, as you know, or may not know, hated Samaritans. They did not like these people, uh, and they felt very strongly against ministering to them. But Jesus was very clear in his calling that when you go to serve, you serve the people that you hate. 
sometimes. And so we are asking people to sit in this section. They could be belong to any one of these, but they're sitting here because they're working with people who've been left behind, cast out, um, shunned by society. Um, they're the ones that when you tell your family you're working with this group of people, they give you a funny look. I'm going to ask the Camden team to sit in this section because the Camden team is going to work in a city that America would otherwise want to forget. And finally, to the ends of the earth, which is over here. Of course, in this, we have our traditional mission. So if you're going on a missions trip through James, that is where you should sit. But if you're going outside of the US and Canada, maybe traveling with your family or working overseas, doing international development work, this is the section for you. All right, so let's stand up and move and try and do it as quickly as possible. All right. As you gather in your seats, I see there's a lot of people staying in Jerusalem. That's cool. We've got a bunch in Judea. Barry's sitting in Samaria. I don't know what that says about Tyndale. And then we've got a bunch of people <laughs> going around the world. Uh, we're going to take this opportunity to challenge each one of you individually as a section, but hopefully these challenges also overflow to everybody else. And so I'm going to begin with Jerusalem. First Jerusalem, you, as I said, are on the home front. You are working with the otherwise familiar. But as Jesus once said, a prophet in his own hometown is without honor. It can be tough to work within what is known, what is easy, what is familiar, what is comfortable. Um, but I want to challenge you to remain strong in the coming months. You might be working a menial job just to pay the bills. I am very aware that from time to time you simply must make money to survive, and I commend your good stewardship. Odds are most of you see yourself as outside of missions or ministry this summer, but that's just simply not true. Your mission field is the one right in front of you. It's the neighbor, it's the coworker, it's the boss, it's the employee. Please take time to pray for your coworkers, your bosses, your customers if you have them. Be a friend, be a good neighbor, but most importantly, be a good servant of Christ where you are. Don't grumble when asked to work the late shift. Perhaps you could volunteer to cover a shift for a coworker that needs to spend some time with their children. How you act this summer is a reflection of who you are, and hopefully who you are has Christ in you. So reflect Christ where you are this summer. Your work is important. You'll be able to minister to people who would not otherwise set foot in a church, have attended a VBS program, may have been even burned by the church at one point in the past. You truly have the opportunity to be the light of Christ in some dark places. But yet, these places are still close to home. To those of you in Jerusalem who may be working at a camp, inner city or otherwise, thank you, as you have sacrificed some dollars for working in the kingdom this summer. That work is to be commended, and it is extremely important. Whether it's a Christian-run organization or through the city, again, be a light where you are. Most likely, kids that you're working with in these camps can't afford to actually be there, and they're there on somebody's good graces. So make it worth it. Make it worth every moment, every minute that they are there. Pray for those that you will be working alongside the other counselors, be they Christian or not. Pray that you represent Christ in person and in job title. That you honor those who have given you the responsibility. Work hard as for Christ, not for man, and do wondrous and amazing things. Thank you for being a light in your own hometown. 
Thank you for sharing Jesus who might not know his good name. But one last challenge. Because you're at home, you're at home. This means your mission field is also your family. Your friends and your actual physical neighbors. Be the neighbor Christ asked us to be. Be like the good Samaritan. Lend a hand, walk a mile, and be cheerful of heart. Because your actions speak volumes about your family and your God, be good neighbors and be good servants of Christ. Pray for your family if they don't know Christ. Be consummate watchmen, always finding ways to encourage, help, and serve those who are closest to you. Dear Judea, you're going somewhere, you're moving yourself, but you're not going that far. Of course, in this country, it, it could be considered far. You could be going to Vancouver, which is more expensive than going to the United Kingdom, or you'd be going to the United States, but still, it's seen as home. As an international development specialist who spends a considerable time traveling, I'm often asked the question, where have you experienced the most culture shock? Was it entering a remote village with Maasai in northern Tanzania? Was it visiting a Liberian refugee camp in Accra, Ghana? Was it making friends with women who were fully covered, save for a small slit opening their eyes in the United Arab Emirates? But no, the most culture shock I've ever received or experienced was in an Ojibwe community in Grassy Narrows First Nations Reserve, two hours north of Kenora. And if you don't know Kenora, it's a wonderful place which raises wonderful children, including my father, who's in the audience today. So I was in Grassy Narrows First Nations Reserve. I didn't even leave my own province, and yet I experienced culture shock. Why? Because the Canada I knew was full of opportunity. I was just graduating undergrad from Laurier. All of my friends were university graduates. I was heavily involved in my church. Everyone I knew was, for the most part, a Christian. So the idea that such need, such disparity, would exist not even within my own country, but within my own province, was utterly shocking. But it does exist. And for those of you spending your time in the United States and in Canada, know that the disparity that we see overseas, traditionally associated with overseas missions, is just as real within our own borders. In Canada, one in 10 Canadians live below the poverty line. A study in Hamilton recently found that there was a 21-year difference in life expectancy between those who were considered poor and those who were considered rich. 882,000 Canadians use a food bank each month as their major food source, and 300,000 Canadians are visibly homeless, while another close to a million Canadians are the hidden homeless, those who go from shelter to shelter to churches, potentially, in church basements, maybe like yours, seeking a place to stay. Indeed, their lives are very insecure. 16% of senior women and 8% of senior men live in poverty in this country, which rises astronomically up to almost 40% if you are widowed. Women in this country are still the most likely to be impoverished today, and your chances are heightened if you are a woman who is not Caucasian or you have mental health issues. 36% of Aboriginal women live below the poverty line, 26% of women with disabilities live in poverty, and 29% of non-Caucasian women live below the poverty line. If you want to know how the cycle of poverty and disparity continues and is perpetuated within this country, 
I would advise taking IDVP 3013, the Intro to Development class. But for now, let me quote the Canadian Mental Health Association, which said, people with serious mental illnesses or any challenge causing disparity face many barriers over their lifetime, including stigma and discrimination, which may prevent them from securing adequate education and employment. Experiencing a mental illness, Illness can seriously interrupt a person's education or career path and result in diminished opportunities for employment. A lack of secure employment, in turn, affects one's ability to earn an adequate income. As a result, many people eventually drift into poverty. See how that cycle of poverty is perpetuated. John Stott, in his discussion on a Christian response to human rights, observes that Christians are called to be the moral compass and his discussion on human rights revolves around one overarching question, what does it mean to be human, which thankfully we know the Bible addresses. And what are our responsibilities as stated within the Bible? What does it mean to be human? Dignity, equality, and responsibility. And so when we speak of discrimination, prejudice, underprivilege, all of which exist within our borders and the borders of America, Please know that these are things that the Bible addresses, and we can turn to scripture to see where we can overcome people's challenges. For those of you called to work in Judea, I want to challenge you to use this unique opportunity to bring the humanity that Christ strived towards to your fellow Canadians or your neighbors in the United States. Samaria. As I mentioned earlier, you're working with the outcast, the forgotten, the possibly even hated. Thank you, thank you, thank you for your ministry to the hurt and broken of this world. You have taken the call of Jesus seriously. You have heard his words and decided this is the summer you will find an orphan, a widow, an imprisoned, and lend a helping hand. This work is God's work, but it is also extremely hard work. Don't kid yourself, it won't be easy. And at times you will want to quit. The people you are serving may even hate you. They may see you as an outsider, but I challenge you to remember that you are no better than they. You are there to serve. You are there to be God's hands, the hands that wash feet, the hands that get dirty, the hands that will cover your eyes when you weep for the hurt and broken. Some of these people have been rejected by their very own churches, told that God won't love them if they continue to live the way they do. But rest assured, God will love them in spite of what we tell them. And I urge you to turn your love up to 10, to put your heart out there, to break for what breaks God's, and to feel things you've never felt before. Pray for the people you're working with daily. Pray that they see the love of Christ for them, that he is bigger than anything we face, bigger than anything they face, that God really does care for us on an intimate level. Pray that they find a community, a neighbor, a friend, who will daily show them the love of Christ long after you've left. Pray for yourself, as you may see things that can't be unseen. Find mentors, disciples, leaders to pray for you while you're away. Ask them to cover you as you are in dark places. Remember that daily God is looking down on you and saying, well done, good and faithful servant. I challenge you to come back from this a changed person, a person who sees the image of God in every person they encounter a person who knows the true value and sanctity of human life, a person who knows what it means to serve. I challenge you to get others involved. I challenge you to have passion, to be passionate, and to get others passionate about the marginalized, the forgotten, 
and I challenge you to get people to see what can't be seen. Come back ready to serve, but not be rewarded for your service. Come back knowing that you may never fully know the appreciation of your work until you look Christ full in the face and he says to you, thank you for clothing me while I was naked, feeding me while I was hungry, visiting me while I was lonely. And to the ends of the earth. In John 9, we hear the story of a man who was born blind. And this is what's written in the Bible about this. As he went along, he, Jesus, saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents, answered Jesus. But this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. As long as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me. After saying this, he spit on the ground, that is Jesus, made some mud with the saliva, and put it on the man's eyes. Go, Jesus said to the blind man, wash in the pool of Siloam. So the man went and washed and came home seeing. For those of you blessed with the opportunity to go overseas this summer, I want to encourage you with a few of the things that we can learn from this passage. Of course, anything written in scripture, or any time we see Jesus' example, that is a trigger for us as ways in which we should be living as Christians. Firstly, the disciples ask Jesus who had sinned, and Jesus responds, neither this man nor his parents sinned, indeed no one. And yes, indeed, there are challenges, there are problems in this world that are created by sin, but there are some people in the world that quite simply were born into a disadvantaged cycle. And it's important for us, returning to that idea that Stott looked at within the Bible, human rights and equality, that we recognize that all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Sometimes when we think of certain challenges, such as HIV AIDS, which has sexual immorality oftentimes attached to it, things like war and conflict, it can be easy to slip into the mentality of judging others based on sin. But please remember that God has called us to help everyone. And there are some circumstances, such as this blind man, where he was born into an unfortunate circumstances, but he himself had not sinned. We must get past sin and look at the cycle of injustice. But you'll also notice within their scripture there are three things that occurred in order for that man to gain his sight. First, Jesus did his part. Then the man made the decision to get up and wash. And then the man washed, and thus he was able to see. So firstly, Jesus did what he was called to do. You going overseas, what you are called to do by Christ is what you indeed are to do. But it's not just you. It's a package. In my field in international development, when we enter a community, we always do what's called a community appraisal. We go into the community having read much about that community before, and when we enter, we don't start doing the work. We don't start building the school. We don't start building the well until we have spoken with all of the community members we need to, and we really understand that community and its needs. It's important, just like Jesus spoke to this blind man, that you're able to understand the culture and the community and recognize that you are a guest within that place that you're going. Get to know the people. Be gracious, be humble. Christ has called you to work alongside them. Secondly, you'll notice that the man made the decision to get up. And so often when we go into communities because we come with our own cultural understanding, we might have assumptions about that community which might not be realistic. What we know is that everyone needs Jesus Christ. 
but there might be other needs or other opportunities that we don't recognize. So get to know the culture and make sure that they're part of what's actually happening. God has called you to a different country, but it's a country where God has already been existing. So working with people. There's a popular expression, and I, I've stolen this from James, there's a popular expression amongst mission teams where we say, we are bringing Christ to Haiti, or we are bringing Christ to Zimbabwe. I want to challenge you that Christ is bringing you to Haiti, or Christ is bringing you to India, but Christ is already there. And so your job is to work alongside the people, letting Jesus be within you in order for that mission that he has be accomplished. And you'll notice that the man then went to the river and was involved in the process. So please remember this idea that you are doing as Jesus has called you to do, but your job is to work alongside people because Jesus is already there. And finally, there's one thing that you do not see in this verse. Perhaps it's the time period, but if this verse were written today, I don't think you'd still see Acts 8 verse 3 point B, and then Peter and Paul took out their Nikons and their iPhones, and they started taking pictures of the blind man, and then they uploaded them on Facebook and Twitter to brag to all their friends about all the amazing things they're doing. Be careful with your pictures. If we are to bring equality and dignity and respect to people as the Bible commands us to do, this could be the one picture, the only picture that was ever taken of that person that you're meeting. That is a huge responsibility. And so if you're sharing it with friends, if you're sharing it with your church, if you're sharing it with Tyndale, absolutely, pictures are wonderful for that. But make sure in so doing, you're bringing dignity to that person and you're fulfilling Christ's mandate of bringing equality to all. Finally, it's Good Friday this week. And as we observe, we're going through different verses. Right before Jesus was arrested, he was praying to the Father, and we read in John 17, 23, Jesus prayed, in them and you in me. I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. This Friday we'll observe the sacrifice that Jesus made by dying on the cross for the sins of the world. We, of course, know that this story doesn't end there and that we have a living God to share with others, which many of you will be doing. But this idea that Jesus prayed Christ in us and the Father in Christ exemplifies the unity that needs to be continuing. If you are being sent to a different country and culture this summer, may you have Christ so evident within you that his will and his love will spread to all of those to whom you have been called to serve. All right. And now, as Christ prayed, I too also want to pray. Well, actually, I want you to pray. I want Jerusalem to pray for the ends of the earth. I want the ends of the earth to pray for Jerusalem. I want Judea to pray for Samaria and Samaria to pray for Judea. So I'd ask that you maybe gather together with two or three and just lift up prayers for those who will be doing work that you may not see for the next six months. So let's gather together and pray. And so, Father, I join together with the prayers of the people that have been lifted up in this room. I pray for continued prayers, that we not forget one another this ministry season, that wherever we are, that mission field that you have called us to, whether it be Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, or the ends of the earth, that we go there with a full heart, a heart of compassion, hands ready to serve, and feet ready to take us. Lord, I pray for your people in this room, that we be 
seeking after you daily, knowing that we will be meeting people who've maybe never heard your name before and that we are your representatives and we may be the first time that they've ever met you. Lord, I ask that as we go from here, we be commissioned to go and do your good work, whether it be at home in Canada, to the lost and the broken, or to the ends of the earth, that you be with us, you go before us, and that we be ready to go and do. In your name, amen.